already happened. There's a lot of people think, well, the church is going to go through it. I don't believe that's so. And I, I, I think we we're, you know, almost in a way we've been building a case. <laughs> Just how many know it's important how you, how you view Scripture in its entirety? You can build a theology off of one or two verses, or you can look at Scripture in its entirety, and that should be what helps um, hone your lenses of how you interpret Scripture. Fair enough. You interpret Scripture by what? Scripture. Not by what, you know, Jim Bob, the guy on the Internet said. There's a lot of Jim Bobs. And I can tell you through my own studies, there's, there's been some things that have, that have changed. And how many know that's probably a good thing? This word's so radically and so amazing that as you grow in the Lord, you're going to start seeing more and more and more. And, and, and I'll tell you, I've had some thoughts, and, and we'll probably share those next week, of who the two witnesses were that I thought before just made sense, right? It makes sense here. But when you see Scripture and it's starting to unfold and you see more and more of it, you can go, oh, I didn't see that. There's mysteries. That's why Paul says, family, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning his return. I don't want you to be ignorant concerning these mysteries. And how many know, like, if, God, if there isn't some mysteries in God, he's not very big. I know, like, this much about him. Like, that much. And which is really awesome because I knew, like, that much. I knew, like, nothing when I started. I thought I did. How many were like that? I thought I knew what God was like. And then you, you get in, you're like, whoa. This is, like, mind-boggling. He's nothing what I thought. And then you think you get to that spot where you think you know. And then you're like, he shows himself a little bit more. And you're like, oh, my gosh. I don't know anything. And I'm, I'm in that spot still today. I don't know anything. I know what his word says. There's some things that are very, very, very plain, and there's some things that are some things we have to dig. And that's, that's awesome. I enjoy that digging, and, and so should you. So we're going to um, be looking. If you have your Bible, please turn to Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 3 through 7. <clears throat> we're going to look at a passage of Scripture. It's been called Jacob's Distress. I'm going to, you know, I'm just because we do have time, I'm going to read the first two verses. That ain't up there, but I just want to say, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord. That's, that's important, right? Saying, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write all the words which I have spoken to you in a book. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah. Who is God speaking to right now? Okay, the Lord says, I will also bring them back to the land. Who's them? Israel and Judah. That I gave to their forefathers, and they shall possess it. Well, that happened a couple times, but the last time it happened was 1948. Now there are, the, now these are the words which the Lord spoke concerning who? Israel. And concerning who? Okay. For thus says the Lord, I have heard a sound of terror, of dread, and there is no peace. Ask now and see if a male can give birth. God, don't tell me God don't have a sense of humor. He's like, hey, I got a question. Ask now, can a male give birth? Good sense of humor. He says, and why have all faces turned pale? Or why do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in childbirth? 
I'll tell you what, if you're a man in this time, that's not sounding too exciting of an encouragement, is it? Like, he's basically saying, how come I see all you men, like, all bent over and in such excruciating pain like the woman in childbirth? I don't know if anyone's witnessed that. Like, I've witnessed that three times. Women, you guys are incredible. I don't know. I mean, it is amazing to me that there's ever more than one child. I'm serious. It is, there's something has to be disconnected at some point. Like, it has to, and, and I think, you know, the joy of the children and all that, like, it, it somehow, because I could tell you, as a man, and any man that's seen this will say, if, if you're honest, there would never be any more children in your family, ever. And I would probably not ever do anything that could ever conclude to that. That's how serious I think that is. God is saying, like, this is a period of time that it's going to be like that. And why have all faces turned pale? Here's the answer. Alas, for that day is great. What is the tribulation? The last three and a half years of tribulation is called the great tribulation. Alas, that day is great. There is none like it. And it is the time of whose distress? Jacob's distress. Some translations will say Israel's. Jacob's distress, but he will be saved from it. He goes on that, which is, he's saying that after that tribulation period, the Lord will restore Jacob. And we see that in scripture. We see it in the book of Revelation. We see that the restoration of Israel, and we see the, the, the millennial kingdom where he's ruling and reigning, and God spares and takes Israel through. And we're going to look in the book of Daniel here in a bit and see who God is speaking to during this period of time. Jacob's distress. Now, in looking at that, I think it's significant. He says specifically Jacob's distress. When we look at Jacob, well, let me read something. I put, I put this down on paper, so I might as well use it, right? <laughs> Jeremiah predicted a time of Jacob's trouble for who? Israel. And many scholars believe that this term alludes to the seventh-year tribulation referred to in Daniel's 70th week, which we're going to get to in just a sec. Now, you guys remember in, in the story of Jacob, his distress. He, he goes and, and he sees his, wants to be his wife, Rebecca. And Laban, her dad, says, I want you to, to do something for me. You're going to work for me. You're going to work for me for how long? Seven years. Now, what did Laban do? Jacob said, yes, sir, right? Anyone that's ever, you're about to see your bride and you think she's like, I'll do whatever. Seven years? Okay, we got this. He worked seven years. And then what happened? Laban tricked him. Gave him Leah. Jake was like, uh-oh. Hey, you tricked me. Hey, you know what? Here's the deal. Work another seven years and I'll give you. So he does. That's, that is Jacob's distress. Now, when we look at that, there's some significance I w we're going to look at. It says, um, Jacob works for seven years, and when he finishes, his father-in-law deceives him, forces him to marry Leah instead of his beloved Rachel. Laban tells Jacob to fulfill Rachel's week. Now, this is the Hebrew word, Shabuah. And the word Shabuah and fulfill Rachel's week, and it's used four times in, the, in Genesis there. 
It's a seven-year period. It's not just a seven-day week. It's a seven-year week. Same word, same Hebrew word that's used in the book of Daniel. Twice in Daniel. Four times here. So there's, a, there's some connection here that we should be looking at. The Hebrew word Shabuah, and literally a week of years, not days. The word's used four times, Genesis 29, and two times in Daniel 9, 27. The word week is a prediction of a seven-year covenant that the future Antichrist will sign. We're going to see that in Daniel here in just a minute. Now, the interesting thing is a lot of scholars, and you're going to say, well, there was two. He worked two seven-year periods. And a lot of Jewish scholars say that the first seven-week period and this is very interesting when you look at the Holocaust. It was from 1938 to 45. That was of serious distress. Would you agree? And who was it for? There's a seven, the second seven, which we're going to see in the book of Daniel. That seven-year week, that Shabuah, has still has not came yet, and it is coming. So I wanted to place that, like, where it can get in fear, like, well, it says 70 weeks, but what's that? Well, the word in, in the Hebrew is Shabu, and it's seven-year period, okay? That section of time, Jeremiah prophesies, and God tells him, is, is Jacob's distress, speaking of Israel. It's going to be such a great period of time that men will have such a pale face, they will be bent over in such agony as if they were having childbirth, which is just a way to say, like, It'll, it's never been like that before. That is the coming time. Um, it's important. I want to just share a little bit of, of when we view Scripture and how, we, how I'm um, seeing a lot of this um, come unfolded is to view the Bible and understand that God has dealt with people in different ways at different times, revealing to us his character and his plan for mankind. Very simply, God works and looks at people in different times in different ways. We see that through the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's a little different for during the Old Testament time than it is during the New Testament time. Fair enough? So sometimes we can get twisted up and like, and there's people today that are like, well, we got to follow all these um, laws that God gave and that was a different set of people he was speaking to in a different time. Amen? So um, one thing that's really interesting though and very cool is salvation has always been by faith. You, you might think in the past, and I used to kind of honestly think this, well, it was more works, and now it's by grace, which is true, but it was always by faith. If you were a, a Jew, or even if you weren't a Jew, you could become um, a follower of, of Jesus, or a follower of, the, uh, of God, not Jesus, they don't believe in Jesus yet, but you would have to follow what? The Jewish law. That was your access, that was, that was how you worshipped, so even people that weren't Jews could do that. But how did that happen? They were putting their faith in those sacrifices to be made right with God. It was still faith. It's always been faith. Today, we put our faith in the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us, which is grace. Amen? So there was a time of law, and there's a time of grace which is determined and called the church age. Okay? So two different time periods. Um, in the Old Testament, the way to salvation was through Israel and required obedience to the law. 
The way God dealt with Israel in the Old Testament took place in a different dispensation than is dealing with the church in the New Testament. Fair enough? Different time. It's a different way God dealt with, with Israel and how he deals with the church. It's different. I want us to look at something when we get into the book of Daniel. Just, just I'm putting this ahead of time just so it's on your mind. The entire 70th week is Jewish in character. Even in the, in the time of uh, what's going on in the book of Revelation, it's Jewish in character, which we'll get into next week. Even the, the prophets that God sends to witness during the tribulation are Jews. God's sealing Jews. God is, as we're going to see in Daniel, he's speaking to the Jewish people. This is where a lot of folks get in trouble interpreting scripture, especially eschatology. Going through Matthew 24, even through Matthew 24, Jesus is speaking to and of Jewish people in terms that Jewish people know and understand. Like, on a Sabbath day journey, being on your rooftop. I don't live on my rooftop, but even today in Israel, people are on their rooftops. That's that's normal. That's That's how that works. Like, it's it's totally he's speaking to the jewish people and when we get things like putting our the church in places that it's not for the church we get in trouble amen jesus even said he declared i came to who the lost sheep of israel that is who he came and was speaking to not that he was not for the gentiles but we do see there was a difference his focus was on israel because the samaritan woman was like hey can i have some of that I can't give you what is for them to the dogs. And then you see Paul has and called to who? The Gentiles. He's focused on the epistles to the church for the age of grace. Okay, so I'm not pulling things out of, but it's important that we see that and how we interpret going through Matthew 24 or Luke's gospel or Luke's accounts. That, and it's very consistent. We're not taking the pieces and, like, cutting edges off and trying to shove them into something. They fit. Amen? God promised Israel. Here's what we're about to tune. God promised Israel in the book of Daniel these seven years. And that at the time, a temple will be built that animal sacrifices will once again be offered on its altars. Very interesting. That seventh week, or that last seven years, there will be animal sacrifices in the site. That's very Jewish in nature is it not that is how do jewish people atone for their sins if they don't believe the messiah has came which i have the question of now is like how are their sins getting atoned for today right now they're not making sacrifices it's i, I don't there's probably some in here who have studied that or that have um, some jewish friends that um have an answer for that they still follow the law. They still follow, um, I know that much from being a jeweler and working and being even, I mean, very, um, like, the one of the biggest days to make money in that trade is on a Saturday. And those shops and those booths get closed up. They're very, very religious. They're very serious about following the law. And this 70th week is for the Jewish people. We're going to look here in just a second. 
the, the once again, the, the offers and the sacrifice are going to be all um, sacrificed on the altar. The church age will be over when this period of time begins. It's important to know the church age will be over when that seven year time begins. And we're going to get really into that a little bit next week. Let's look at the book of Daniel. If you have your Bibles with me, please turn to ch- Daniel chapter 9. I'm going to read it to you and put it on the screen in the, in the New Living um, Translation today because it's a, l- it's a little clearer, at least it was for me. It might not be for you, but to, to paint the picture, to follow what's going on, I, I think the New Living Translation really gives it, and it's very accurate also. So that's obviously important. We could just like, oh, that makes sense. It's easy to read. Well, is it accurate? <laughs> so in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27, it says, A period of 70 sets of seven has been decreed for you, for who? Who's Daniel's people? Huh? The Jews. So I just, you see where I'm going? You think it's important to know who God is speaking to? Has been decreed for your people and where? Your holy city, which is what? Amen. To finish what? Their rebellion. To put an end to who? Their sin. Who's there? The Jews. To atone for their what? Guilt. To bring an everlasting righteousness to confirm the prophetic vision. The point of this 70th week, this last final seven year period is, and it's been decreed, it's, it's for your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion, to put an end to their sin to atone for their guilt, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision, and to anoint the most holy place. Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven. That's 49 years. Plus 62 sets of seven, which is 434 years, will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem. Now, that first, that first set, truly, Jerusalem was beginning to be rebuilt. It was right on time, right on target. The next period of time, when you take the, the, um, the years that go from, that Daniel is prophesying, is right on target for when Jesus lands and comes into this earth and does what Daniel's prophecy says. It's very accurate. says, now listen and understand, seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. Anyone have a question who that is? Jesus. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defense despite the perilous times. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one, who is who? Jesus will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing. Speaking to who? Would you say that's a fair account of what the Jews would say Jesus did? They would say he accomplished nothing, so he wasn't the Messiah. The whole time, Jesus, they're saying, oh, you're going to set up and establish the rule and reign that he was going to, because it was probably he'd rule with an iron scepter. The book of Daniel and Ezekiel. And guess what? When he comes back, 
He is going to. He will fulfill that. Amen? Which shows that it is not that time. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing. And a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. Now that did happen. And in, oftentimes in prophecy, you'll see it a couple few times. This is, this is what's going on right now. The end will come with a flood and war and its miseries are decreed. The end will come. From that time to the very end. The ruler. This is going to tell us who this ruler is. The ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven. The ruler will make a treaty with the people for a seven-year period. That's the Antichrist. It says, but after half this time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. And as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. Now, the interesting thing with that is Jesus prophesies the same thing in Matthew 24 and also in 2 Thessalonians um, chapter 2. You'll see that this ruler will literally set himself up. Now, that's very specific time, half of that seven-year period. At the three-and-a-half year, there's going to be peace. Well, there's still going to be tribulation, tribulation, God's opening seals, but the Antichrist has peace with Israel. The last three-and-a-half period is what is called the Great Tribulation. That's when the peace treaties broke. All hell breaks loose. The seventh seal is opened, and which we're going to be going through. But I want you to see before we even get there, like, who this time is for, that we can have peace. That you can understand, like, this is truly our blessed hope. This is our blessed hope. If you have received the Messiah, you have accepted that he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah the King of kings and Lord of lords, that you have put your faith and your trust in him for your sin because you have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. His wrath and those things are not going to be poured out on the church. They have been specifically stored, and that is a promised week to the Jewish people. It's not a promised week for the church. Now, that's not a slam on Israel. That's God's mercy to give them the ability to recognize, and he's sending two witnesses, which we'll get into next week, to witness and show the Jewish people he was the Messiah, to turn to him, to, to continue to trust him. But they are still going to be offering sacrifices because that 70th week is a time still of law. It's not the dispensation of grace. The church age is over. The ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven. But after half this time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. And as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object, which basically Thessalonians tells us he will end the sacrifices to God and take his place on the Holy of Holies. He will take his place and say, worship me. You can no longer worship your God. You must worship me. Jesus speaks of it uh, in 
Actually, there's, there's, I think, Ezekiel, there's a handful of places. So this time between Jesus being crucified and the rapture of the church, which we see in Revelation 4.1, which we will be getting to, the church being raptured, the church being caught up. John says, and after these things, it's really important that we understand that, that John has been prophesying and speaking to the church until Revelation 4, when he says, after these things, which was the church age. Or the dispensation of grace. Jesus, the time between Jesus being crucified and the rapture of the church is the church age or the dispensation of grace. Previous to Jesus' crucifixion, Gentiles would have to convert to Judaism. Fair enough. Before that, God had a, an open door for them too. You, a Gentile could become could be saved. A Gentile could serve God, and God would honor that. But they would have to follow the Jewish law. And even during the dispensation of grace, it doesn't mean that Jews can't be saved. But they have to follow the age of grace and realize that Jesus was the Messiah, and there is no other way for sins to be atoned for but by the blood of the Lamb. You can't have your sins atoned for during the dispensation of grace by animal sacrifices. I just want us to look at some of this. God no longer requiring righteousness through works during the dispensation of grace or the church age. God gave a righteousness by grace through faith in the completed work of Christ to all, hear me, all who accept it, Jew or Gentile, all who accept it. For God so loved who? The world. That anyone, anyone, anyone who would believe in him and trust in him would be saved. Grace, sometimes, some people will say like, grace replaced the law. Grace didn't replace law. It just interpreted it. Grace just basically interpreted the law. Think about that. All those laws, all those ways to have your sins atoned for, Grace interpreted the law. And it's through Jesus, who John said, the, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Didn't replace the law, I just interpreted. Law has another seven years to run. Hear me. I really believe this. Law has another seven years to run. Why can I say that? There was only 69 of Daniel's 70 weeks completed. There's another seven-year period, which will be a time of law, not a time of grace. The times of Gentiles must, must conclude to bring the return of the Messiah. Jesus came during the time of the law for Israel and to Israel. Let's look, look at Luke chapter 20. Actually, I don't think it's 20. I think I might have given you that wrong. Hey, I did a typo. Can you believe that? So let me find it. I think it might be 17.
Yeah, I think it's um, 17. My bad. 22, 24. Here, I'm going to read it to you. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded, here we go with Jesus pinpointing when you see, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. Then those who are in Judea, here we go again, those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. And those who are in the midst of the city must leave. And those who are in the country must not enter the city. Because these are days of vengeance, so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. Verse 23. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be a great distress upon the land and wrath to this people. To what people? To this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until when? The times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Until the times of the Gentiles are being fulfilled. All that's going to happen. Once the, the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled, then from that point forward, that last section is for the Jews. That doesn't mean that Gentiles can't be saved either. But that focus, once again, as we said, there's times, and in the Old Testament, God's focus and that time period of, of his was to the Jews. This is a dispensation of grace for the church, which is for Jew and Gentile alike. And it's by grace. But once the church is out, that age ends. You understand? Jesus describes the great tribulation in Matthew 24, which I wish we had time. But he describes the great tribulation in Matthew 24 and also confirms its application to Israel by the use of these terms, Judea. The Sabbath day. He speaks of the abomination of desolation that will happen. That Daniel speaks of. And who was Daniel speaking to? The Jewish people. Now let's go into the New Testament, into the um, epistles in, in the book of Romans. Chapter 11. Verse 25 through 27. Here's Paul again. He says, For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel into the, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, just as it is written. You see what Paul's saying? I don't want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation. Paul's heart, and, and he really wanted us to see that, you know, the Gentile people could get like, eh, nah, 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 it's all about us now. And he's saying, hey, you better be careful of that because you were a branch grafted in. And just as you were grafted in, you could be ungrafted. And he says, see what I did with, with Israel. Israel had turned their back and turned their back and turned their back. And God in his mercy, isn't God so merciful that he will and he's going to give Israel because he is, they are still his chosen people. He loves Israel. He's going to give them that time of period, which we saw in the book of Daniel. It's so that they would repent, that they would go through that. They would recognize that Jesus is the Messiah and they will turn to him. And he's protecting them and sealing them because he loves them. So Paul is saying, 
I don't want you to be an informed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And then so all Israel will be saved just as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Aren't you glad that God in his mercy has, he still has a plan for Israel. He still, and we can't have the attitude of being like, well, you know, it's all about us. Faith, you're still, everyone's saved by faith. There was a time, and thank God, that through Israel, the whole world got to see who God was. That was his purpose, to have a chosen people, that all the world would see how good God is. That when people would honor God and they would worship God, the only God, how blessed they would be. And they turn their back, just like we had. We can do. We can turn our back on God, and many of us have. So we're no different in that. But now the only, the only thing is, is Jesus be, became that sacrifice. We don't have to go over and over and over and over, which never completely atoned. It covered, but there was still guilt and shame with sin. We are, we are so, so blessed that there's no guilt and shame. He paid the price even for that. Because he was the perfect sacrifice. It was always his plan to come. The, the, I, don't, I don't see biblically where we as the church can place ourselves. Because that's like a whole replacement theology that can get real messed up. People, well, every, everywhere, like, we're Israel now. No, we're not Israel. You know, there, there's some weird stuff. People think, like, we're, like, I'm not a Jew. Like, I don't have, it, but somehow, like, they, people are trying to replace the church with, No. God, I believe we have to interpret, in order to interpret Scripture properly, when he says specifically to Israel, that's who he's talking to. Now, there are things that we can see in God's character that when he does things and he says, hey, if you will obey me, Israel, I will bless you. As the church, we can say, hey, if we obey God, he will bless us. Amen? There's a lot of those things that we can, we can glean, we can see and look back in time that, hey, you know what? God's faithful. God parted the Red Sea for Israel. That must mean that he could make a way where there seems to be no possible way even for us, the church. Amen? He took the Jews, or he took Noah and said, you're righteous, I'm going to put you in a boat while I pour out my wrath. He'll probably do the same thing for the church. Because that's what Peter says. Look at that. Look at Sodom and Gomorrah. Righteous lot. Come out. You have to leave before I can pour my wrath out. And I'm going to show you next week in, uh, I believe, beautiful, um, amazingly beautiful picture of Enoch and of Moses and Elijah. And uh, it's going to be awesome. And we're going to go into next week. The church isn't mentioned after Revelation chapter 4. We're going to see where the church fits as we were just looking at the, the Jews right now pretty much today and where the church fits in. Man, that sound good to you? I know this is a little different, more of a teaching today, um, but I don't want you to, to not understand that, he, that this is the most exciting thing we can understand. Like, truly, Jesus is coming. He's coming soon, church. He's coming soon, and he is coming for his bride. He is coming for the church. He's coming for anyone who has put their faith and trust as him being the Messiah, of him being what he said he was, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
whether you're Jew or Gentile, if you put your faith and trust in what he's done for you, you are going to leave when that trumpet sounds. It says, the dead in Christ will rise, and those who are on this earth will be caught up with him and will meet him in the clouds to be with him forevermore. Forevermore. That is a glorious day, church. That is a glorious day. There's an old hymn, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon the face, the one who saved me, by his grace. What a day that will be. What a glorious day that's going to be. And he's coming soon. Our beloved Jonathan said we're to, we should be shouting that from the rooftops. And I don't know about you, but I've been shouting it from the rooftops. This world knows. They know something's going on. They know there is something in the air. God has put in every single person on this planet the knowledge of him. We've been created with a conscience. Con means with, shunts is science, knowledge. Conscience, with knowledge. So when we do our part and we shout it from the rooftops that, hey, Jesus is coming. People, get ready. You say, well, I don't have all. You don't have to have. You say, he's coming. Look around. But I want you to, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to understand, and I don't want fear to be have any grip. There's enough that you are trying and I am trying to be misled and deceived by a spirit of fear. And there's going to be a lot of people that are going to say, oh, pastor, I've heard, I've heard a couple of them already. Well, you're just kind of going with the old school thought. And you're just, well, if this is the old school thought, um, you're darn right. And I'm sticking with it. Well, there's some that would say that we're, yeah, well, I think I've been giving you a whole heck load of scripture to show that I'm not trying to put something in somewhere that doesn't fit. If you know him, if you know him, if you have spent any time with him, you know he is not pouring out his wrath on the righteous. Jesus came, the blood of Jesus came to take away the sin of the world. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. So if I've been made righteous in his sight and he comes, I'm not going to have to die. Isn't that what the Bible says? Then why? Then you can say, well, how can people have to die? Because he's already determined. You got about 85 years. The only, time, only people who aren't going to die are those who are alive and in his return. I believe that's us. I don't think I'm going to die of old age. Now, I don't know if I'm going to die before that. That I have no clue. But I can tell you, if I die short of dying of old age, I ain't going to care. I'm going to be so excited. As Billy Graham said, someday you may hear that I died. He said, don't believe it. I'm going to be more alive than I've ever been. And I can promise you that. We're going to be more alive than we've ever been. There will be no sickness, no pain. This earth is under, is under a curse right now because of sin. Did you know that? Can you imagine what the earth looked like before the flood? This is a jacked up state. The wrath was dumped on this earth, and this is what we see. Can you imagine how beautiful? 
you imagine a place that God is, is, Jesus is still preparing. I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's still honing it out, every little detail in all these rooms. What are you going to do with that truth, church? Are you going to bury it? Are you going to bury it? I don't think your master is going to be too happy if you bury it. Are you going to share it? You better share it. Shout it from the rooftops. People, get ready. Jesus is coming. If you don't know him today, I'd love to introduce you to him. You know, he's so good, I will never be ashamed to introduce someone to Jesus. There's some people in my life I'm a little iffy with. I might be one of those for you. Like, I don't know if I really want them to meet Pastor Steve or not. But I can promise you, every single one of us, we could be like, you got to meet Jesus. Like, you got to know him. He's the most amazing person to ever come into my life. When there was no hope and no one wanted anything to do with me, he, through all that, said, oh, I got to have you. I must have you. And he did the same thing for you. You must share that. You must let people know in this day and age that you don't have to go to hell. It's not for you. You don't have to go. Turn. Just turn to Jesus. Amen? Let me pray over you. Lord, I pray, Lord, that this truth would take seed and plant. It would land in really good soil. God, that peace, right now, I just declare peace of God right over this congregation. Lord, they would be a complete peace to know 